Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. With the COVID-19 lockdown in full effect, South Africa's mines have had to scale down operations considerably. Given that labor is the most significant cost for many mines and that the country is heavily reliant on foreign earnings from the export of mineral products, this could be a serious blow for mines and for the economy. A scale down in operations could also be a scale down in employees, which is something South Africa can ill afford. Is it all doom and gloom though, or is the industry which has faced many preceding challenges well poised to push through this after the lockdown ends? What is government doing and what more can be done by government and then by business? All these important legal, social and even moral questions amidst the fight to flatten the curve is what we're going to be discussing in this podcast. My name is Toby Shapshak and I'll be your host for this special episode of Weber Wenzel Legal Insights, where we will be talking about these issues and how COVID-19 is shaping the mining sector right now and into the future. Joining me are some of Weber Wenzel's top legal experts, Liesl Lowe, Garen Rapson, Kate Collier, Merlita Kennedy, Navasha Singh and Rita Spaulding. We will be discussing a number of topics including the impact of COVID-19 on contractual obligations, occupational health and safety, taxes and more within the mining industry. A salient point to bear in mind is that Chief Economist for the Minerals Council of South Africa Henk Langenhofen has warned that the industry could lose one and a half billion rand a day. Further, mining earns 24% of the country's foreign currency every year. The industry reported mineral sales of 540 billion rand in 2019. So it's in this context that we have to look at what the differences between your rights in law and what the rights are to do in the midst of an epidemic that is potentially killing lots of people. And how do we keep our economy going? I'm going to ask Rita Spaulding, firstly, for what the context is in terms of the specific legislations and regulations as they apply to mining operations during COVID-19. It's important to understand the context. And on the 15th of March this year, in a response to the outbreak of COVID-19, a national state of disaster was declared in terms of our Disaster Management Act. Pursuant to this declaration, President Cyril Ramaphosa showed tremendous leadership and took decisive action in declaring that South Africa would institute a lockdown for a period of 21 days. This lockdown is a drastic attempt to curb the rapid spread of COVID-19 and requires the cessation of all non-essential businesses and services. The Disaster Management Act provides that if a national state of disaster is declared, the relevant minister may make regulations or issue directives concerning the governance of the country during this disaster. 
In accordance with this power, the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs published what are commonly called the lockdown regulations. In our experience, when it comes to mining companies, these regulations are luckily being applied on a very case-by-case basis. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because, of course, you know, if you're mining coal, that's definitely a, an essential service. How do mining companies transport those goods, which are essential, especially with rail and port limits? The lockdown regulations provide that fuel, including coal and gas, are essential goods, and that electricity, water, gas, fuel production, supply, and the maintenance of all of that are essential services. The lockdown regulations also provide that gold, gold refining, coal, and essential mining are essential services. But the regulations, understandably, do not elaborate on what constitutes essential mining. So in this regard, government has drafted broad regulations and seems to be applying a rather practical approach on an individual business basis. The Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, Gwede Mantasha, has met with the key stakeholders in the mining and energy industries and in collaboration with the South African Petroleum Industry Association, the Minerals Council of South Africa and various labor unions, he did develop a framework for the continued operation of the mining and energy industries. And what he attempted to do during his press statements on both the 25th of March and the 4th of April was to elaborate on the broadly drafted regulations. Whilst he noted that mining operations would be significantly downscaled, he confirmed that production of gold, manganese and chrome can continue, as well as processing of surface operations for platinum group metals. And he expressly stated that essential services which support the sector, such as security-related infrastructure, maintenance, water pumping, ventilation and the like, must continue. The services that are being rendered to communities which surround the mine are equally important and must continue. So, for example, if a mining company is supplying water to the surrounding communities, that simply has to continue. ESCOM, of course, needs coal to keep all the lights on, so supply of coal to ESCOM must continue. As for obtaining the exemption, initially it was understood that all companies had to register if they wished to continue operations, either through the BIS portal or through the CRPC website. But it has since been clarified that mining companies should instead apply directly to the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy for confirmation that their activities are permitted. We understand that numerous mining companies have approached the department and the director general expressed his concern that because of the volume of applications they have received, he was worried mining companies would stop or cease their operations before he had had an opportunity to consider the applications. So the director general has urged all mining companies to rather continue operating on the basis set out in their application as opposed to suspending all operations. With regards to transportation, which is a key issue in in these times, the Director General of Transport is on board and Transnet, particularly through its freight rail division, port terminals and National Ports Authority, have confirmed that they are up and running and open for business, although on somewhat restricted terms. With regards to ports, the South African Maritime Safety Authority has confirmed that all the South African ports remain open to facilitate imports and exports of essential products. 
And Transnet has confirmed that it will prioritize the delivery of essential goods. However, it also stated that mining companies will need to receive approval from the DMRE if they wish to transport goods via ships. With regards to rail, as with all other forms of transport, any passenger and commuter rail operations have ceased. Transnet has confirmed that the rail services during this lockdown have been categorized in relation to their ability to support essential services, with the highest level including the transportation of fuel and coal for hospitals and power generation. As for road transport, our Minister of Transport has issued directives which confirm that cross-border freight movement may continue to and from neighboring countries, but once again, cross-border road passenger transport is prohibited. Mining companies need to carefully assess their supply chain and communicate timelessly with their individual suppliers to ensure that they will be able to obtain the necessary consumables and products which they require in order to continue producing essential goods or conducting their operations. What regulation should the government apply after lockdown, Rita? Because there's concern that it may be extended or it might be partially extended. There might be sectors that are enabled to carry on working. But of course, all of this is used to bolster the industry and the economy. I believe it's government's job to facilitate a path back to business as usual. And I don't think we necessarily require new or different regulations to get there. But perhaps a more lenient approach or enforcement of the current regulations is what's required. Government may need to consider some novel ideas, perhaps some leeway on procurement targets or relaxation on the HDP requirements in exchange for retention of employees. Government will also need to provide fiscal support to marginal operations and continue driving downstream beneficiation for job creations. Who knows, perhaps even a rebate on the royalties should be considered. But whatever initiatives are implemented, I do believe the DMRE needs to continue applying its mind to each and every mining company situation on a case-by-case basis. Post the lockdown, we anticipate that certain mining companies may not be able to recommence their operations, or even if they do, they may need to do so at reduced levels. This may result in numerous applications being submitted. The various mining work programs and social and labor plans which are currently in force may need amendments in order to cater for the the then new factual position. And lastly, we foresee that there may be a flurry of applications for ministerial consent in terms of Section 11 for the transfer of controlling interests in mining companies or for the transfer of mining rights pursuant to various restructurings and business rescue proceedings. And we think that all of these applications should be prioritized and fast-tracked to ensure that mining operations can continue as far as possible. Great. Thank you, Rita. That's very insightful because, of course, this is where so much of the thinking is going to be going. Liesl Lowe is a a specialist in employment and labor. And and one of the key concerns, obviously, for so many companies is, is labor relations and what are the companies, especially in mining, going to do around the circumstance, especially post-lockdown? What are, what are these mining companies' obligations going to be, especially in terms of uh, paying their staff who, who are unable to work? Thanks, Toby. That's very relevant because yesterday on the 7th of April, the uh, minister, Minister Mantash, met with Labour 
and with the Minerals Council, which represents employers or mining companies in the industry, with regard to what should happen after day 21. That is unsure at the moment. Uh, we do not know if the lockdown will be extended and if the lockdown will be extended, whether mines will be granted a special exemption or permission to at least partially operate. So if the lockdown is extended or even if there's partial operation, the principle of no work, no pay will still be applicable. Melita will discuss force majeure issues a little bit later. But the other reason why no work, no pay is applicable in cases of a government shutdown is a supervening impossibility of performance. Neither the employer nor the employee took the decision to close down, which is the supervening impossibility of performance by government decision. Therefore, employers are not legally obligated to pay their employees during a government shutdown or lockdown. Many mining companies, in fact most, have however indicated and undertaken to pay their employees in full for the current 21-day lockdown. Whether that will be practical and affordable should the lockdown continue after the current 21 days remain to be seen. But the basic legal principle is that the principle of no work, no pay will be applicable. It's a good thing, right, that companies are paying during this this 21 days because this was in many ways something that no one had seen whatsoever coming and uh, it's quite a, a global response to all of this. Do you think there are going to be issues around retrenchments as a result of the financial strain on COVID-19 and uh, what help is there from government to help employers cover labour costs after this lockdown? There could very well be certain companies uh, whose operational requirements dictate that retrenchments would be necessary. Should that be the case, the employers will have to follow the process set out in Section 189 of the Labor Relations Act. What government is doing at the moment uh, for the current lockdown and what I believe will continue to be provided should the lockdown be extended is that a special fund has been established, which is called the Temporary Employer-Employee Relief Scheme, where employers who experience financial distress and cannot pay salaries at all, or only in part, can apply for assistance. This is delinked from the normal UIF benefits in that employers apply to the fund for assistance, not employees. The fund pays employers to pay then the relief on to employees. It's important to note that this fund will not cover full salaries. The maximum salary used to calculate the relief is 17,712 Rand per person per month. That does not mean an employee will get that amount. The fund will calculate a percentage of 17,712 rand per person per month payable to employers to pay on to employees. That percentage is between 38% and 60%, with higher earning employees getting the lower margin or the lower relief and lower earning employees getting the higher percentage of assistance. 
So if the lockdown persists, um, the TERA scheme, I'm sure, will continue to provide relief to employers and employees. That's great. Uh, they're very clear, obviously, about what can and can't be done. Are there any other thoughts that you have around how this very tricky labor situation is going to roll out? It clearly no one's at fault, not the employers or the employees or the government. How do you think this is going to, this is going to impact labor relations going forward? Well, at the moment, it's a very polarizing situation. Mining companies are pushing for operations to reopen after 21 days, at least partially. And two big unions have already come out and said that they are against this because employees' health and safety should be put first. Those unions are AMCU and the NUM. So as a starting point, I would suggest engagement, definitely between employers and the labor representatives and possibly the DMR as well. And where possible, arrangements could be implemented by agreement and not unilaterally. And even though I said before that employers are entitled to implement no work, no pay, it does not, of course, mean that they have to. Employers can do more than that, should it be practical and affordable. They could, for instance, say, I am in a position to pay you 50% of your salary, or I will apply no work, no pay, but I will continue to make your contribution and the employer's contribution to things like pension or provident funds and medical aid. So there is a bit of room to move. My suggestion would be that that should start with engagement between employers and employee representatives. Thank you very much, Liesl. I think you've covered the employment issues very well. Let's look at what's going to happen with contracts and disputes. And I'm going to bring in Melita Kennedy, who is going to talk to us about what can be done about this clause force majeure. Can force majeure be invoked in the case of a mine that is unable to fulfill its contractual obligations to its customers? What can a mine do if it does not have a force majeure clause to protect itself from being sued for non-delivery? Melita. Thank you, Toby. You raise a very important question that is very topical at the moment. But I think it, it, uh, it would be prudent just to take a step back. Force majeure really allows contracting parties to temporarily suspend performance in terms of a contract. And so whether force majeure is applicable, we have to turn to the contract. Does the provision dealing with force majeure cover COVID-19? The answer, regrettably, isn't so simple. You'd have to unpack the provision. If the force majeure provision uh, refers to pandemics and epidemics, COVID-19 certainly is covered in terms of the provision. If it is a bit broader, covering uh, terminology such as illness or disease, my view is that COVID-19 would be covered and mining companies or any entity would be sufficiently entitled to rely on the force majeure provision. As Liesl earlier pointed out, if you don't have the force majeure provision in contracts, it doesn't mean that you are left without a remedy. Supervening impossibility is a doctrine well known to us, and it allows entities to not perform in terms of the contract, but the performance must be objectively impossible. So, if you look at the COVID regulations and the lockdown that um, 
is a consequence of the regulations. My my view is that corporate entities, in particular mining companies, if they don't have the force majeure provision, may well be in a position to rely on supervening impossibility. Thanks, Melita. Do you think that this COVID-19 experience is going to set a precedent that will require new clauses to be inserted in contracts in future? Uh, my view is that it shouldn't. We do have, um, you know, a system in place where we have the reliance on the force majeure. What I would suggest is that this does present a very unique opportunity to allow entities to look at their suite of contracts to see if they are force majeure provisions, if there are not, that they be inserted, if there are clauses to to look at the clause to see that it is sufficiently drafted to cover the likes of COVID-19, that it is sufficiently drafted to cover the consequences of non-performance in terms of COVID-19. So my, my reply would be, no, I don't think that we do need to reinvent anything new. We've got the mechanisms in place already. Thanks for that, uh, Melita, because I think there's a lot of thought that's still going to have to go into this. What are the options for pursuing arbitration or mediation during the period where South Africa's courts are only open for hearing a limited range of urgent matters? Arbitration and mediation will become, to my mind, very important. Um, with the with the regu- COVID regulations, access to courts is limited. That added to the fact that various courts have issued directives um, limiting access. And, and the traditional or the historical backlog of courts is going to really mean that when, when the lockdown is lifted, um, that access to courts will be limited, that uh, matters will be heard months, if not years down the line, which makes alternative dispute resolution very attractive. It makes the likes of mediation attractive. Mediation is simply a process where the parties themselves resolve a dispute facilitated by a mediator. This is attractive because not only can your matter be heard sooner, but if the mediator is skilled, then, you know, the matter would be resolved amicably and the working relationships between the parties will very much remain intact, unlike an acrimonious litigious dispute that plays itself out in a courtroom. But given that there are going to be matters and your more commercial matters, which may not be suited to um, mediation or the parties themselves prefer not to mediate, I would certainly suggest that arbitration is the much better route to follow. South Africa is well known to be a hub of arbitration, uh, for arbitration, and arbitration like mediation is more expedient. It allows parties to appoint arbitrators that are industry experts to adjudicate matters. It is efficient. It runs a lot quicker. And once again, the parties would be in a position to dictate how quickly their matters get heard. So the the COVID-19 pandemic has 
opened up new avenues or avenues that's already in existence, but made it more attractive to parties to resolve. And I would suggest that we are going to see a lot more in these arenas than we do in the court space, because the traditional approach to courts is not as flexible as you would find in mediation or arbitration. Thank you very much, Melita. We're going to speak to Kate Collier now about some of the issues around occupational health and safety. Kate, what measures do mines have to take to protect employees' health and safety during the COVID-19 outbreak and, of course, once miners return to work? Toby, I think that the manner in which COVID-19 has been managed and discussed in the context of various workplaces has thrust occupational health and safety generally into the limelight. And South Africans are now more aware that there are two primary pieces of legislation which govern health and safety in any workplace. In the context of the mining industry, the provisions of the Mine Health and Safety Act will apply, which require all employers to make sure that they take all reasonably practicable measures to ensure that all employees can work in an environment where they are neither exposed to risk to their safety or their health. So all employers should be doing a detailed workplace-specific risk assessment to determine the measures that they can take for that workplace, taking into account the type of work being performed, the number of employees, the design of the workplace, to see how best they can protect those employees within the parameters of the medical advice which is currently available. So practically what we are seeing as a first port of call is employers doing their best to limit the proximity of employees, being guided by the one-meter principle, ensuring that employees are able to practice good respiratory health, in that if employees are coughing or sneezing, those, that action is covered, or those employees stay at home. And then, of course, increased hygiene, both from a hand-washing and a surface cleanliness perspective. Of course, the best-case scenario at the moment is that all employees are at home. But we do have some mines which fall within the essential services category, where they are running a full work complement, for example, where there are coal mines providing coal to ESCOM coal-fired power stations. And other mining operations which were unable to close completely will now have a reduced work complement carrying out what we call care and maintenance. And all of those general health requirements would have to be in place to protect those employees while they are at work. These measures, however, will not be different based on whether we're in the lockdown or after the lockdown. The difference will be the number of employees to whom these measures have to apply. And I think that minds would be well-placed to be applying their minds now to how we deal with COVID-19 in the workplace going forward. This disease is not going away just because the lockdown ends. And the mining industry being an area where there is a high number of employees, potentially in close confines, makes it an area which is ripe for a potential spread or flare-up in the future. So mining houses need to be applying their minds carefully now to how we deal with this in the ordinary course once we get back to a business-as-usual process. That's a very comprehensive and, and well-thought-out response. Thank you very much, Kate. I suppose there's a lot of, of thought that has to go into more of this because where do mines' responsibility end uh, is the employer responsible if its employees are staying in hostels or mine villages 
during this period or afterwards and they contract COVID-19. Where is the responsibility then? We know absolutely that employers have to make sure that their employees are safe and healthy while they are at work. We know that employers have to make sure in the mining industry that employees undergo a form of medical surveillance when they start work and while they're at work to make sure predominantly that they are safe and healthy to perform the work allocated to them. So those systems will have to now be updated to deal with the effects, both immediate and potential long-term effects of COVID-19. Those things could be medical impacts and health impacts from outside of the workplace, but which then impact an employer's ability to allocate work safely to a potentially affected employee. In the general mining environment, you would not have employees contracting COVID-19 for occupational reasons, which may be a risk in the medical environment, for example. But we do have a gray area where employers have to be cognizant of the so-called non-occupational or lifestyle diseases, which impact the ability of employees to be safe at work. The DMR already tracks and involves employers in helping employees remain healthy in the context of lifestyle diseases such as hypertension. And the DMI already relies on employers to assist employees remaining healthy in the context of HIV and non-occupational tuberculosis, for example. And I expect that employers are going to be relied upon quite heavily to assist employees in managing their health outside of the workplace because of the significant risks and impact that this could have in the workplace. Firstly, from employees spreading the disease to other employees and the impact on productivity and safety in the workplace if sick employees come to work. Of course, where you have employees who are housed and accommodated by the employer, additional measures would then need to be put in place because the employer would be seen to have a higher level of control over aspects such as hygiene, disease control, reporting, cleanliness, and those sorts of common sense methods to limit disease spread would then fall on the employer to make sure that they are complied with. So uh, complicated is a, is a good word for that. Thank you very much, Kate. Navasha Singh is a tax attorney, and she's going to talk to us quite specifically about what kind of tax relief, including employees' tax or any others like customs duties, could be available to mines throughout this COVID-19 lockdown and potentially afterwards. Hi, Toby. Thanks for having me. So I think it would be quite a fair comment to say that South Africa is very dependent upon the mining sector in terms of actually generating wealth in our country. So the COVID-19 effects are going to be definitely the country at large as well as the mining industry. And therefore, it's very important for us to actually have a look at exactly where we stand from a mining perspective in the industry and also what government can actually do to try and relieve the the mining industry from the repercussions of the shutdown from COVID-19, which which leads me to my next thing. The current tax reliefs that we actually have, which have been introduced, like the ETI program, which was initially introduced in January 2014, and it was specifically in order to promote employment um, for young workers. And it was to, to actually reduce the cost of hiring young people between the ages of 18 to 29. Um, With the onset of the lockdown by COVID-19, we've seen government actually introduce a subsidy to the employers of approximately 500 rand per month, uh, irrespective of the age. 
Now, although this may sound good in theory, unfortunately for mining companies, they're not really going to benefit from this incentive. And this is specifically because the salaries currently exceed the ETI threshold um, of 6,500 rand per month. So although we have this incentive that government has issued, mining houses are not really going to benefit from this. So if we see an extension to the lockdown period uh, by government, I would highly recommend that government actually look to extending this threshold from 6,500 rand so that mining companies can actually qualify for this tax incentive as well. Um, And I think it's imperative for government to have a look at that in order to assist the mining industry as well. And so far as that and customs duty relief for importers. Now, although there's been a lot of, of movement in terms of that and custom duty relief, unfortunately, the relief doesn't extend to mining companies or, or the goods or services supplied by them because it's not really deemed to be an essential service. So um, government will have to look at seeing whether or not these importation can actually be be extended to mining industries for the future as well. Furthermore, there's been there's been a bit of talk in in terms of actually converting the housing um, that is currently available for employees of mining industries uh, to actually turn them into quarantine facilities. Now, this is quite an interesting one because when you look at the allowances that are allowed in terms of the Income Tax Act, Section 3611D of the Income Tax Act actually allows for mining companies to claim a tax allowance on uh, housing or any other infrastructure that has been constructed for the use of employees or for the immediate community, such as hospitals, uh, schools, etc. You had me at Section 3611D. What could government do from a tax perspective to help mines recover from the lockdown? We currently see that in terms of the mining royalty as well, perhaps government should actually look to providing the mining industry with a bit of relief in in terms of actually paying for the mining royalties, perhaps give them a a six-month leeway period of not having to pay the royalties. That will actually minimize the effect um, on the mining industry as well. So that would definitely be something for government to consider. We're going to look now at the environmental issues and Garen Rapson is going to talk to us just about how easy or hard it is for mines to come out of care and maintenance and, uh, and, and what tips should they be aware of? What are the environmental considerations that mines should be thinking of to manage the risk when operations recommence? Thanks, Tony. Um, Care and maintenance, funny enough, in the mining industry is sort of business as usual. Most mining companies have care maintenance policies and procedures. And, you know, depending on life cycles in terms of um, commodities, a mine may go into and out of care maintenance numerous times in their life cycle. So I think sort of our mining industry at least will be well equipped to go back into operation. But there are some nuances in terms of this care maintenance process. And I think the key things are that 
during this lockdown period, all of the administrators have closed, at least from the environmental perspective. So any sort of pending applications that were sitting at the regulators were suspended. And all of those processes will have to be recommenced post-lockdown. I think for all mining companies in South Africa, they're going to have to relook at their projects and prioritize which projects are actually key in terms of going in, back into operation. Bearing in mind that all mines are going to be recommencing those processes with the regulators. So the regulators are going to be overwhelmed during this period. So it will be key for everyone to, to go and reconsider what is actually um, a key project and prioritize the efforts there. While we are still in lockdown, I think companies should actually be engaging with the regulators and having an open communication channel with them in terms of their thinking and where they would like to go. Um, another thing that will not be business as usual is that in the environmental space, you have to run very credible public consultation meetings for all of your applications. In a world where the virus will still be present, Companies are going to have to relook how they can run an effective public participation process without having to have large-scale public meetings, which would pay, place people at risk. In South Africa, that's very tricky because you need to be able to convey messages in an easy, effective manner. And sometimes people may think that a face-to-face -face communication is the best me method. But I think generally we're going to have to rethink how public participation happens. The other key thing that I, I think people need to think about is that COVID and the lockdown has forced companies to, to rethink their technology and to use technology more effectively. Companies will have to slowly ramp up their operations and the personnel will have to be redeployed for, for key issues. So I think a lot of companies may sort of lose their eye on the site in terms of compliance. And it will be key for companies to look at new technologies and new systems to be put into place to help them manage their environmental compliance in terms of missing expiry dates of licenses, getting audits in time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now's the time to actually rethink how you do your business and what your new business case is going forward post post lockdown. A very good response, uh, Garen. Thank you very much for that. I, it, it's tricky, isn't it? Because uh, even though mining itself stops, the impact to the environment doesn't stop, does it? That's absolutely correct. You know, mines have a huge environmental impact and whether or not you are mining or not, that is the status quo. You're still going to have waste sites um, on your mine. You're still going to have to deal with dirty water. You're going to have to manage sewage, etc. And whether or not you're actively operating or not, you have to manage your environmental impacts all the time. Great. Thank you very much, Karen. I think you've covered that nicely. And, and in general, now that we've heard from all the relevant lawyers in the fields, it's, it's worth noting that there is some optimism from a lot of the analysts in the mining sector, the Financial Mail, the, the publication I write for, uh, ran a piece last week talking about how, in many ways, South African miners have been through tough times and they, they've had a four-year commodity bull market. Um, and they've been through very disciplined capital allocation and cost-cutting exercises. So most of the major miners, according to some of the analysts, find themselves with little, if any, debt, which means it gives them a, an ability to withstand the crisis. But of course, because South African mining has been in a state of crisis for many years and there have been many issues – 
the management and the labor unions are aware of how to work with complicated situations. And of course, that the rand is, has, has risen to 18 and at some point 19 and 20 to the dollar means that uh, miners are actually getting more for their product. But generally, people are saying they don't want to downplay the challenges, but they've been through tough times and they've, they've handled it very well. The sustainability of mining uh, companies is, of course, very much in the South African eye because, as I mentioned, last year it reported sales of 540 billion rand. And that is money that the South African fiscus needs desperately. Thank you very much to our Weber Wenzel legal experts. And you should know that this is being recorded using software that lets us all work from home. So no contact. This has been a Weber Wenzel Legal Insights podcast. Our executive producer is Paula Youngins, and this podcast is produced by Volume. I'm your host, Toby Shapshak, and thank you for listening. You have been listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, visit WeberWenzel.com.